Our first reading today is Psalm 9. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you. For you have upheld my right and my cause, sitting enthroned as the righteous judge. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken my enemies. You have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them is perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the peoples with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, never forsake those who seek you. Sing the praises of the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. For he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cries of the afflicted. Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death, that I may declare your praises in the gates of daughter Zion, and there rejoice in your salvation. The nations have fallen into the pit they have dug. Their feet are caught in the net they have hidden. The Lord is known by his acts of justice. The wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. The wicked go down to the realm of the dead, all the nations that forget God. But God will never forget the needy. The hope of the afflicted will never perish. Arise, Lord, do not let mortals triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Strike them with terror, Lord. Let the nations know they are only mortal. This is the word of the Lord. Psalm 10. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears, no one will ever do me harm. His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the village. From ambush, he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he lies in wait. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. 
His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider the grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. This is God's word. Thank you both Lindsay and Ruby for uh, reading to us God's word. Once again, friends, good morning. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, you know that uh, while some of us came this morning rejoicing, perhaps with an upbeat mood, many of us still came dragging heavy burden, crying, doubting, longing, perplexed, weary, tired, exhausted, fearful, uncertain about our future, feeling down, disappointed, anxious, distressed, depressed, feeling rejected, broken, beaten, by sad news, unwelcome news of illnesses, and some perhaps even with a suicidal thought. Lord, I pray that you give us assurance, each one of us to our heart and mind, that you are still in total control. Cause our ears to listen, 
to you as you continue to speak to us now through the proclamation of your word. Set us free by the truth of your word. Open our eyes to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And open our heart to respond to your message as you open the heart of Lydia to respond to Paul's message. Use me as a mere vessel. May the words that are about to come out of this month you created and the meditation of our heart be all pleasing and acceptable to you. Our God, our rock, our king, and our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> As Christians, many of us are facing um, times of troubles, times of pressure, times of distress, perhaps intensify to despair. Now, if you are not going through such a time, then praise God, but I also pray that uh, by God's grace you listen to this message because the reality is that the life of the believers consists normally of troubles and sometimes terrible troubles all along the way. Looking at these twin psalm, I spare you of all the thought behind why this is one psalm. And you can see even in your Bible, in NIV, there is a, in the margin there and down, you'll see that this was traditionally one psalm. But I was led to share with you some thought from the unusual phrase in times of trouble. That's why the title, could you please bring it back, the one that just been there. In times of trouble. In other words, I could reframe again the topic as we go this year through prayer and looking at the psalm that we should this morning focus on God alone in times of trouble. This is one of those uh, phrases um, that uh, unify or is a link between these two psalms. In times of trouble, as I said, it is a new old phrase. It's only found twice in the whole Old Testament. And uh, it's only here. And uh, this is some, as you can look at your Bible, glad you have the Bible in front of you. So uh, you find that in uh, Psalm 99, but also in Psalm 10, 1. And the thought of uh, being in trouble convey also psychological and spiritual 
intensity or sense. And I spare you all the verses where you find that word in, in the Old Testament. But uh, this, this, this phrase, in times of trouble, uh, speak of a twin reality of life in this broken world. On one hand, you have the certainty of God's triumph, but on the other side, or the other hand, you have also the present um, and perhaps a short-lived triumphing of the wicked. God is triumphant, but also sometimes we seem to see is the wicked that are triumphing. But it speaks of also two um, polar opposite experience that the one who is in trouble has with God. So two experiences uh, with God. Uh, and as we face uh, these troubles in uh, or through prayers. So here is the first uh, experience. As uh, the psalmist uh, goes through um, uh, times of trouble. And so in, 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 in Psalm 9 verse 9, he says, The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. In other words, his experience there, God, I have seen you. Now you think, oh wow, yes, that's what he seems to be saying there, I have seen you. Not only in that verse, but when you take it throughout Psalm 9, what he's saying there, I caught us out of God in times of trouble. He experienced God's vindication in the past against their enemies. And see verse 5 all the way to verse 6, how God has rebuked, destroyed, plotted out, and uprooted their enemies. In other words, God has been wonderful in doing uh, what is called there as he speaks about it in verse 1. I praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I tell you of your wonders. And he has, he has seen God's uh, help, God's hand in time of trouble. And these wonders are the uh, great redemptive miracles, but also things that in his daily life he has seen God. And that's why he's praising him in Psalm 9. He prays God for his presence. There is a dominant note of praise there. But as he has seen God in trouble, he is now seems to be facing fresh and new troubles. And we see the hint in verse 13, where he is saying, uh, Lord, see how my enemy persecute me. There's a new trouble, a fresh trouble that has come. And it looks like the life of the believer um, has troubles after troubles and after troubles. 
In other words, wonderful deliverance can be followed by fresh need and fresh trouble. As I was preparing this, uh, I remember in my own life, there was one period of life among many where there was trouble after trouble, deliverance. God delivered something, delivered us from something, and the trouble came. Let me give you one episode. We are living in Congo in 2001. But just a, um, a month before we left, or I say three weeks before we left, we had a, um, an African family. We, we, we have uh, so many people in our house. So the sister of Elise was living with us. And she became unwell, went to the hospital. And that's a battle we are preparing to, to move. And now that has come. And she stayed in the hospital. I've never seen something like that in my life when someone is given blood 19 times. And it's like you give the blood and someone is sucking the blood. To the point, I just say, Lord, this is in... It's too much to bear. We are preparing to leave, and what is happening here? I walk into the hospital. I said to the doctor, that's enough. We are going home. And then she said, doctor said, but she's going to die. I said, if she dies, glory be to God. We just came home. We cried to the Lord, and uh, by God's grace, uh, she was healed, and she's still alive today. So we left the Congo. We're like, hoo-hoo, out of this. <laughs> and we arrive in Kenya within the first week. Now, we only had $800. No, so, I spare putting that in pound, you can work out yourself. But at that time, I don't know whether we told you this, um, Isaac wasn't yet born, but we had a daughter who was left with us when she was only four months. Her mom died, and Elise and I decided to take this daughter. And so we took, we took her to Kenya because the father said, I don't know where to, to, to take the daughter. So we went with her. Unfortunately, she's not us, with us here because um, um, we did not have all the legal paper. And we arrived in Kenya. Within a week, she became unwell, went to the hospital, First day, give $100. No, we should be thankful for the NHS. $100. The, the next day, I went, the doctor said, another $100. So I gave. The next day, another $100. And I'm thinking, 500 left, and we have to leave here. And she's really unwell. So again, I cried to the Lord. I said to the doctor, just leave me this child. And she say, she's going to die. I say, if she dies, glory be to God. We came home. I've never cried in my life until that time when I had the episode the other day. Um, but this is a cry. Lock the room. And I cried to the Lord, remembering the past deliverances in my life, what he has done, and the Lord in his mercy, heard. And the daughter, she's alive today, doing medicine, and she's in the third year doing medicine in the Congo. Trouble after trouble. 
The psalmist here telling us when you face fresh trouble, he, he himself is praying. But, but his prayer is like one commentator putting it this way. It is, I quote, account your blessing praying. That's what we found in Psalm 9 then. He's counting his blessings as he go on pleading with the Lord, focusing on God, recalling the past glory and the past deliverance. He knows that this God is a helper at the right time when there is trouble. He knows that. That's why in verse 9 there he's saying, you are a refuge in times of trouble. So here is one of the model of prayer that we are learning as we go through, that when sometimes fresh trouble happens in our lives, we should stop, look back, call out all those deliverances God has done in our lives, including deliverances of being a child of God, because here, in this passage, these deeds that the Lord has done are the redemptive deeds, the deeds of the miracle, how God set them free. And we too, as children of God, God has set us free from the power of sin, from the power of death, and through Jesus Christ. We can call this, but we can also call the daily miracle in our lives. But there is another experience, and this is it. And the same David, who has seen God in this second experience, when he is in trouble, he's saying, God, where are you? Look at, in verse 1 of chapter 10, why, O oh Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I can't see you. David has lost the sight of God. God seems distant and silent. If in the first experience, he saw God as the one who fight for his people to give them a higher fortress, to give them a place of safety, here, he sees God as the one who retreats from trouble. And he laments, rightly so. He can't see God, but all he sees around him is something else. All he sees is the trouble that is being inflicted by the wicked. But then he sees that the wicked, their lives seem all right. They are prosperous, content, at ease. Nothing seems to trouble them. They seem to live their entire life without trouble, without being punished. And this is one of the questions we ask ourselves these days. Why God does seem, what, why does God seem to disappear in our lives when we need him the most? 
in the translation of the message, that verse 1, it reads like this. God, where are you when I need you? And I have been there. I've been in the first experience, recalling all the past. But I've been also, maybe you have been here. Maybe you are there now. Where are you? This is the first why questions by the psalm. Some particularly psalms that are linked to David. Other when we come, God willing, to Psalm 22, verse 1, we hear him again. Why have you forsaken me? These why questions. The psalmist knows, he knows in his mind that God is near, but he doesn't feel it in his experience. He doesn't feel it when he's experiencing times of trouble, injustice around him. Trouble is all around, but God seems to be Seem, God doesn't seem to be responding. He feels alone. He feels that God seems to be acting out of character. I have known you. Normally in a time of trouble, you step in. But here, you seem to be acting out of character, God. What is going on? He cries out, why, O oh Lord, are you silent? Friends, nothing panic us like the silence of God. How does one cope in, uh, with this painful, frustrating, deeply hurting and, 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 and the longing and this painful experience? How does one cope? Well, David's faith is perplexed. There's no doubt about it. His faith is under distress. And yet, and yet, he resolves himself in confidence in God as he goes on pleading to him in confident prayer. As he describes what is going on with the weak, wicked people, but he still comes to pray. In fact, what we see here, in his pain, though he does, though he's, he's going through the pain, he does not use God's hiddenness as an excuse from disengaging with him, but as a motivation to press on with God. In other words, in the very death of his pain, darkness, the psalmist still expresses his unshakable confidence in God. His eyes is filled with tears. And yet these eyes of tears are still looking to the same God. Like Job, in some sense, he doesn't understand the reason why God is silent. He's still screaming to God. Why? This why question is not a philosophical discussion, but a prayer. In fact, it doesn't start by saying, well, God, if if you are both 
almighty and powerful. Why are you doing this? But it goes on straight to say, why, O oh Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you? It is a devotional. It is a prayer. His question is going back to the praying. In fact, this dilemma, when you look at some of you have different versions, you can go to, 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 to Google or look at different versions. In fact, verse 2, part B there, NIV, he doesn't capture really what is there. Normally, it should be a prayer, part B there, where, where it should be read as you look at these evil people, you say, let them be caught in the same snares that they have or schemes that have set up for us. So he's asking you why, but he's also praying. And look at his prayer. Sometimes it's very bold, the language there. Arise, O Lord, as if the Lord was sleeping. Though his dilemma is not yet resolved, he still refocuses on God because he knows God's care. What we see here, the psalmist, David, is ready to live with this head-searching mystery. He can't figure out, but I can live with it. I was given a gift uh, over Christmas, and um, it's a devotional um, a, a, a gift, and um, uh, by by uh, written by Paul Tripp. And this is what what it says when it comes to the mystery. He says we we all face things that appear to make little sense and don't seem to serve any good purpose. So rest is never found in the quest to understand it all. No, rest is found in trusting the one who understands it all and rules it all for his glory and for our good. Remember that your mysteries aren't mysterious to him. Your surprises don't surprise him. He understands all the things that confuse you the most. Not only your mysteries, not uh, uh, mysterious to him, but he is in complete charge of all that is mysterious to you and to me. While he is prepared to live with the mystery, in the meantime, yes, I'm, I'm prepared. What do I do in the meantime? Well, in the meantime, he is confident in prayer. And where, where can he find the stamina, the strength to keep going? when life is in that darkness. He finds the stamina or the strength in the fact that these times of trouble are not faced alone. He knows that. Though he can't see God, but he knows that God is still there. And I am not facing these Times of trouble alone. Look at verse 14. He knows his hope is coming by reminding himself that God does seize trouble, that God does consider, and in his own time he will take it in his hand. And therefore, I commit myself to the Lord. That's what he's saying. 
but also he finds hope in a promise that is already there, even when there is a long journey, a long journey, I may not understand it, but it's a promise I can hang on. And this promise is found in verse 17, part B. And 14, again, in some of the NIV, forgive me, we can't see that, but in other translation, that phrase which says, you encourage them, is normally, you will strengthen their heart. You will strengthen their heart. David knows that while I cannot yet see this, this God who is silence will continue to strengthen my heart. And this is exactly what Paul also in another place in the New Testament. This is the answer that Paul had to learn to accept and live with. As he prayed to God for this trouble that was upon him, he prayed, he prayed, and look at what he wrote to us. I'm waiting for it. Thank you. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weaknesses. Paulo should tell you that on Thursday or Friday, I wept at the conference we were, because this, this passage kept haunting me, and I spared with all the others. And even the next bit that is there in that passage. But friends, sometimes when we pray, pray, we expect the removal of suffering, the removal of that. God, rather than removing this, he gives us the grace, he gives us the strength. And to put it also in another place, Paul, when he had no one to help, look at what he says the next verse, at my first defense, no one came to support, but everyone deserted me. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. God gives us strength when the answer or help we expect from him does not yet come. Or perhaps will never come. Let me conclude. One thing I find very moving, striking, inspiring, challenging is that there is a, a solid ground of hope where the psalmists stand in times of trouble. In both Psalm 9 and Psalm 10, he stands on this belief that there is a God who rules. Look at it, 9, 4, and 9, 7, but also 10, 16. The throne is not unoccupied. God still on his throne. And, and he knows that nothing else can be done 
Accept it through prayer. And why keep praying? Why keep focusing on this God even when he doesn't understand it? It's because God reigns. He rules. And because he rules, though deadly the threat might be, though mighty the enemy might be, I can still pray because the Lord reigns. And the Lord rules. He's a king. And so I pray that our mind and our heart be settled on this truth that God is king. He rules. He is in charge. And that gives us confidence to keep praying. When is he going to act? Yes, his purposes will prevail. Even the justice that he is longing here one day will prevail. And the vision of knowing that God still rules, he's on his throne, he's in charge, is the same vision that helped Steve in the New Testament, in chapter 8 and 7 of the book of Acts, to face death and even the horrible death of being stoned as he looked up, you are still reigning and ruling. And so, we can live even with the head-searching mystery Painful though it might be, we may never fully understand what is going on in God's mind. In fact, our own mind are just a finite, cannot comprehend everything God is doing. But we must keep on focusing on him because he's king and he loves us and is faithful, trustworthy, one day we shall be in his presence. But we should keep on focusing on him through his son, Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ, even at the cross, lived and died with a mystery. Why? Why have you forsaken me? And when we look to him, he is able to strengthen us. To God be the glory. Amen.